Hi, I'm your host, Connie Aileen, and thank you for tuning in to season three of the Fly Behind the Wall podcast, a podcast created to shed light on the realities of working in U.S. prisons and jails from the perspective of a former prison administrator who is me. My goal really is to just discuss topics from week to week that may challenge what you think you know about the world of corrections by simply providing another perspective. See, it is important to me that I use this platform to recognize the non-uniformed employees, also known as the civilian workforce, who work day in and day out in corrections with little to no recognition of their commitment and sacrifice. And now those employees, those are your doctors, your nurses, the social workers, your administrators, the maintenance people, you name it, those who are not uniformed employees are considered your civilians. So to all, I will say thank you, the value that you bring to the institution and the populations you serve is immeasurable. Welcome to the Fly Behind the Wall, and thank you for joining me again. Um, today, we're just going to explore really um, information, right? Because we know knowledge is power, information is key. And so, in corrections, civilians have access to limited information, and that can impact their ability to be effective. And it certainly impacts their ability to feel as though they're part of the team, but let's explore that further. I do hope that my reflections and insights will help to broaden your understanding of the the correctional life, as well as how it impacts employees and inmates the same. Stay tuned. Right, so we're just going to jump right in, right? Um, so there is an interesting dynamic between custody or the uniformed staff and non-uniformed staff. And really, you know, uniformed staff, they come in with their skill set, right? Whether they're a nurse, their doctor, social worker, their licensure, right? Like they come in with a, a pretty defined Um, expectation as far as the scope of their licensure or the scope of their experience. They were hired to do a specific job. And of course, the challenge comes when we step into corrections and we do have to work collaboratively. It would be great if we could say we work as partners, but not a lot of facilities have civilians as true partners in the process, right? And what I mean by that is You know, if there is some sort of operational disruption, there is some sort of strategy that we have to come come up with in order to solve a problem. Oftentimes, you know, there is a side meeting that custody has where they figure out what needs to get done and what players need to be involved. And by all means, it's their house. So that should happen, right? Um, But I think the challenge comes that their experience is just that, right? It is their experience. And so sometimes there are perspectives that simply aren't at the table. They simply aren't considerations from the beginning, right? And so we may be spending a lot of time spinning our wheels because we haven't quite 
incorporated all of this knowledge and experience that we have around us, right? And a lot of times that happens because, you know, there is this us-them dynamic that exists. You know, it's custody and then it's everybody else. And, you know, there have been instances where we've been able to break down those barriers, right? And sometimes we have to do it. So for example, we've got, you know, an inmate suicide or we've got, you know, some sort of escape, right? And that person happens to be mentally ill. Um, There are different um, crises that may arise throughout the compound where they need to draw on our expertise. So whether it's medical, mental health, um, the social workers, reentry, programming, you name it, like there's times where we need to be at the table, right? But knowledge is power, right? And the other thing that we don't really talk about is this, I don't want to say obsession, right? But there is a significant power dynamic in corrections, right? And of course, you see it between officer and inmates because officers are in charge of inmate management. And so inmates want to employ their free will. And this is just not the environment for that. So sometimes you see that power dynamic between officer and inmate and, you know, officers are going to do what they need to do to neutralize any threat to that authority or that perception of authority. Um, and that, and sometimes that means neutralizing the civilian, right? Regardless of the fact that we're supposed to be seen as equals or as partners, um, that we're supposed to be seen as being on the same team. Sometimes there is that, yeah, I don't really know what's going on with this civilian. So we're not going to necessarily give them information, right? But knowledge, right? Let's talk about what knowledge means, right? So knowledge is facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education, the theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. But there's another one that I think is really, uh, really pertains to this discussion, and that is the awareness or familiarity gained by experience of a fact or situation. And so for civilians who are not law enforcement professionals, right? Like we don't usually come in having that requisite experience, right? And so there are certain things we just don't, we're not aware of, right? Like we kind of see a situation at face value many times and we have to learn to look at what are the underlying issues or the underlying impact. What is the ripple effect that this could have on our system? What is the ripple effect that this could have on operations, right? And so I think that, yes, there is an appropriate amount of information that could be shared with the non-uniform employees. And, and honestly, that information is shared with purpose, right? So this employee serves a purpose in the equation. Whatever it is we're trying to solve, this person is going to add value to this conversation and we're going to get closer to a solution based on the experience and the knowledge that this person has. And so sometimes we don't get access to information because there's no reason for us to have access to that information. The flip side to that though is 
there's some sort of operational disruption. We have no idea what's going on. We're like, what's going on? Why can't we see our people today? And so because we don't know what's going on, we're not in the loop, we're not in the know, we don't have the information, it creates this tension, right? It's like, why isn't the officer just getting my people? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we're on lockdown and that might not have been communicated. Or meanwhile, back in the ranch, they're shaking down the housing units and that hasn't been communicated. And so we're thinking they're just not getting us our people. On the other end, they're probably thinking how annoying are they, but they don't realize that there is a gap in information. There's some information we just simply don't know. Now I had a very lively discussion one day um, with Anthony Ganji. I mean, we talk about corrections all the time. And really this focus was on sometimes some information just shouldn't be shared, right? And I agree, right? So as a former prison administrator, when there were many operational challenges in the facility, as the administrator, I was called into the warden's office. We would sit and talk about all of it, all the dynamics, all the moving parts, all of the possible outcomes, everything we need to be aware of, that we need to be prepared for. And quite frankly, that helped me to better direct my staff on what the expectations are, how we would be involved in this process, whatever we're doing in the facility, how we serve to help, right? And end instances where we need to fall back because I understood the bigger picture and the bigger plan, right? And although they may not have known all of the intimate security details, right? So we're gonna do this first, we're gonna do this second, we're gonna do this third, right? Because the administrative directives typically direct what direction we're gonna go and what needs to get done. But there are some directives for security purposes that are not public. They were not on our intranet. Um, and so you couldn't gain access unless you needed it for some reason. So. There were instances where I needed stuff if I'm going through an investigation with one of my staff and I if I couldn't gain access myself, I would go to the security depth and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm doing. This is what I need. We have an arbitration coming up or we have whatever, right? At, at which point, you know, the warden would approve me to have access. Now, I think that also said a lot about my relationship with custody because they knew that I understood the importance and the sensitive nature of the information they were sharing and they trusted that I wouldn't share that information with anyone. However, I think what we have to learn as civilians is that there is some tr very um, critical, crucial information that shouldn't be shared with us because we don't want to inadvertently provide someone with information who shouldn't have it, right? And, and I'm really trying to be as sensitive as I can about it because I know there is some sensitivity surrounding us feeling out of the loop, right? We're not involved. We're not engaged. We're not trust, excuse me, we're not trusted. They don't allow us to get involved and, and support, right? And so there's some things we probably don't even wanna know because we don't wanna risk compromising safety and security. We don't even wanna risk it. 
by saying something and we think it means nothing, but it does, right? And so I think this is a fine line that we have to walk when it comes to how much information is too much information for a civilian to have. Now, from a security perspective, like I remember going in to do interviews as a discharge planner and thinking, I don't think I want to know what their charges are. But from a security perspective, if this guy is a rapist or this guy is known for whatever, like I want to be on alert. But what we've learned in corrections is that universal precautions are just that. We should be on alert no matter what. Otherwise, we're in this space of complacency and anything's liable to happen. So me going through the motions, I had gotten to the point where I wanted to know what their charges were. I wanted to know what their criminal history was because as a, so technically a discharge planner now would be seen as like a re-entry counselor, right? And so as I'm trying to help this offender transition back into the community, there are many community-based organizations that may not accept certain things. Or if this person is a sex offender, there's special programs for sex offenders. If this person is an arsonist, right? There's certain ones that have sort of a heightened um, eligibility in order for them to gain access to certain services, or they don't qualify because of what their charges might be. So, you know, for me, it was kind of like touch and go. I want to know, I don't want to know, but if I do know, it helps me to be more effective in my job. Um, So when it all boils down to it, I think that, yes, you know, we want to feel like we're part of the team. We don't want to feel excluded. We don't want to feel like we're not trusted, right? And sometimes the lack of information exchange can send that message, right? Like, oh, we're on lockdown. How come we didn't know that? Oh, they're doing searches today. And quite honestly, when it comes to searches, I've seen times where we are in the loop and no civilian told the inmates that we were doing searches, right? I mean, sometimes they get a whiff of the information and it doesn't necessarily come from a compromised civilian employee. And I think that's just, you know, an unfair assumption because, you know, from what I've been told lately is that as we um, had minimized volunteers and there weren't many um, civilian employees on site, aside from those essentials, right? Um, We were still getting some sort of compromise happening and we weren't there to get the blame for that, right? And so I just feel like let's just deal with the facts that we have in front of us. If it is someone who we've established a professional relationship with, we know they understand operations, they understand safety and security, they understand the sensitivity of the of the information. And it doesn't hurt to say this is sensitive information. This is privileged information. That way, the person listening to the information is listening with a different lens, right? They're, they're on alert because this information is critical, but it's also privileged. And so they need to handle it as such. And I get it across the board. Not everybody has integrity. And so we don't want to necessarily... Uh, take the risk of 
putting information in the hands of someone who has no integrity, right? But we also have to be mindful how we alienate other people when we exclude them from the conversation, when we don't provide information, when we make them feel that they are somehow not part of the team, they're not as trustworthy. And so the way we interact will always have sort of this heaviness in the midst of it until we can get to a point where we say, you know what, I trust this person. And and maybe that's wrong, right? Like, because I think that's, there may be some officers that like, I mean, I've talked to plenty custody who like, you can't trust nobody, right? And and I think there's, there's definitely truth to that, right? But we also can't operate without each other, right? And if I haven't given you a reason not to trust me, if I've not shown you that I cannot, um, I cannot protect sensitive information, I don't think I should automatically be assumed to not be able to handle that information. And I mean, if policy dictates that there's certain protocols, there's certain strategies, procedures, what have you, that should not be shared, I'm not, I'm not interested in anyone violating policy. What I'm more concerned with is establishing trusting relationships, civilians and custody, where we are sharing information that can help us to be more effective. Here's the thing. I am super passionate about everything corrections, the workforce, the offender population, and the institution. Now I get it, the institution isn't perfect, but it's these conversations that provoke thought and that have the potential to inspire change, the change that we wanna see. In the words of the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., if you cannot do great things, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Just something to think about. Thank you so much for listening as I continue to make my slice of the world a little better. just listen to the fly behind the wall now available on anchor itunes iHeartRadio, amazon music and other listening platforms be sure to subscribe share and write a review join me next time behind the wall <laughs>